Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, we have a really good guest today. Since the Big Ten is about to get underway, who better to have on than BTN's own Dave Rebson? Yep, Dave knows that conference cold, and uh, we're interested to talk to him about his thoughts on some of the teams and also just... Uh, you may remember him interviewing Kevin Warren back on that day that the Big Ten originally shut down and and then just kind of the, 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 the odyssey that he experienced from there in terms of whether the conference was going to come back or not. So let's get to Dave. We're pleased to be joined now by our good friend Dave Revson at Big Ten Network. I don't know if you guys have heard, there's Big Ten football coming back this weekend and starting on Dave's network Friday night. Um, with Wisconsin, Illinois, Dave, what's this? Uh, I know, I know, um, a lot of people are excited about this. I got to imagine nobody's more excited than the Big Ten Network. Yeah, we are thrilled. I had heard rumors about this, Stu. I'm glad you could confirm it uh, that it is back this weekend. I'm fired up. Yeah, you know, for us, I mean, it's it's crazy. We're going to have more conference games on our air than we have ever had before. We will have every team at least twice, uh, which we do in a typical season, but often it's one non-conference and one conference game. But we're guaranteed, obviously, because they're only conference games of having two conference games now for every team. So for us, I mean, we have four games this weekend. If you extend it out to the whole Fox family of networks, which, of course, we are we're partially uh, owned by Fox Sports. You know, you, you look at a game on FS1, a game on Fox as well. I mean, you know, we're talking six of the seven games are, are on the, the Fox family network. So that's that's pretty amazing. But four on BTN and, and we're just thrilled to get going. Dave, I feel like no no of the no other conference network dives in as deep as you guys do and have been for years. Um, for folks who probably haven't watched, I think some of the must see if you're a Big Ten fan is when you guys go on the road and you do your spring tour and you go on your camp tour and it's it's you Howard and Jerry and it's really you know it's kind of must see if you if you cover or care about Big Ten football um, and so saying all that to get to this what was it like for you and you and really your two two buddies Howard and and Jerry who spend so much time together and are so invested in that conference to watch everybody else, obviously not the Pac-12, but almost everybody else back in the swing of it, and you're on the sidelines just trying to read the tea leaves on if there's going to be a season or not. Yeah, it was painful, Bruce. I mean, look, I, I understand the rationale, and, and we could certainly, if, if we want to get into the rationale, we could. Um, so I, I got it. I mean, we're in a pandemic, and they want to keep people safe, and so I understood all of that. So it wasn't painful because I disagreed or, you know, I think it's one of those reasonable minds can differ type of scenarios. I, I don't know that anyone knows what the right answer is or was because we, we can't see the future here. But it was painful just in that, you know, I really like those guys. I mean, this is our 14th year working together at BTN. And then I worked with Jerry for two years prior to that at ESPN and we you know, hosted a show every week together and traveled together as well. And so, you know, those guys are part of the rhythm of my life. They really are. And and so not being on that bus with them for 18 days hurt. It was painful. I missed it. And then I would also say it's very valuable to us. So above and beyond the fact that we really enjoy one another 
have a great time going out for good meals and swapping stories and finishing each other's jokes and all those things that you do when you have known someone have such great chemistry as the three of us do with one another and just genuinely like each other. Um, we also learn a lot on that tour. I mean, it is invaluable. And I, I think we have always prided ourselves on BTN on the fact that we know more about our teams than anyone else does. And I don't mean that as a put down of anyone else, because look, I, I worked at ESPN and I took great pride in what I did covering all of college football. And I felt like I knew the most that I could possibly know in my position, but there's just something to be said for going and watching every team go through camp. I mean, if we didn't know more than everyone else, we, we like, there'd be a problem. Right. So, so that, that's kind of what I'm saying here. And, and we just missed out on that this year. And so I, I think it's, it's going to be challenging. We certainly all have a lot of connections and resources now within the league and people that we can turn to to find out information but there's no substitute for your own eyes and ears and for talking to people and for having that quick two minutes with the wide receiver coach who you've known for a while and, and you get a chance to, hey, tell me what's going on with your group. And we didn't get that this year. And, and so that, that part of it is, is really challenging. And, and I think that in a year that is so different, in a year where there is less information than there typically is, we're, we're kind of in that boat too. I'd imagine it's gonna, it makes it harder for you to, like I've always said to people, you know, my, my preseason predictions would be a lot more accurate if I had the magical ability to go and watch practice at, at every team in the country, right? It's not, yeah. it's not possible, both yeah. from a time perspective and also like most of these schools won't let us watch their practice, or not most, but a lot. And you guys obviously are afforded that, that luxury, so... Do you feel like you like you must go into most seasons feeling like you've got a there's always gonna be surprises, but you've got a pretty good handle on who who you who you think's gonna be really good, who you think is probably not as good as maybe the public realizes. Do you feel like you're just kind of guessing about how this season will play out? We have a lot of institutional knowledge. So you have a lot of built up, right, right, a reservoir of knowledge. I mean, I would just use the example of Joe Milton at Michigan. Like I watched Joe Milton quite a bit when we were there in preseason last year. I mean, I remember coming out of there. In fact, I think I said it on our set that they have a great situation here in that they had three guys who I felt like were really good. Now, of course, Dylan McCaffrey has, has left the program and Shea Patterson left, but we watched Joe Milton last year. And so we saw, obviously we saw him a little bit in games last year, but, but there, are, there is, you can be a little bit ahead of the curve. I watched Spencer Petras last year and got a sense for a oh, good big physical kid, good arm. So it's not like I feel like I'm flying totally blind, but yeah, it's different. I mean, I, again, it would be selling short what we do every year, which I think is incredibly valuable. It would be selling it short to say that not doing it doesn't put us at a disadvantage compared to other years. It absolutely does. Uh, it is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Now we still get it wrong. And of course we don't always agree with one another. Um, but there are, there are years where you see a team. I mean, I would use Nebraska last year. I know a lot of people pick them to win the West. We went and saw them last year. And, I mean, I, I think it was obvious there were some challenges up front on defense. And then maybe that would be somewhat of a limiting factor. But I still think we left Lincoln thinking that was a really good competitive team. And, again, they lost a lot of one-score games. I'm not saying they weren't. But – but I still thought they had a good chance to win it last year. 
when we left there. And they clearly were never really all that close to winning it. So, so we get it wrong sometimes, even, even after seeing the teams, but, but I do feel like just kind of being able to eyeball guys who are going to be thrust into roles they hadn't been in before. That's something that you can do. You can get a sense for depth, particularly along the lines that we weren't able to do this year. So yes, do I, I, I do think we're at a bit of a disadvantage, certainly going into week one. And then once you get into week one, you know, I think I'm going to spend most of my week next week watching games back and, and just really familiarizing myself with, okay, what happened at this left guard battle and, and how did they resolve it? And, and how did that line look and, and all those things. So we'll catch up, but, but just the, um, that preseason advantage, I think has been negated. You mentioned Joe Milton. I want to, I want to kind of start there. So Michigan loses Nico Collins, one of the best receivers in the country. He's off to the NFL. Now I've heard good things from the guys I know on that staff about some of the young guys and how fast they are. And we'll see it's a second year in Josh Gaddis's system. What realistically do you expect from Jim Harbaugh's team right now? Everybody's going to be talking about how Ohio State is the clear favorite. And then I think some people may like Penn State more because at least you know a little more about Sean Clifford. And quite honestly, James Franklin's beaten Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh has not. So what do you think Michigan fans should be expecting in 2020? Well, let's look at it this way. They went nine and four last year. They lost 10 players to the NFL draft. The only school in the country that lost more was LSU, although Ohio State also lost 10. They were decimated on the offensive line. And that would have been an area where I would have loved to have seen what was going on there, because I know they're excited about some of these younger guys. But the truth of the matter is Jalen Mayfield's really the only truly known commodity there. And and they were fortunate to have him come back because he had originally opted out. So I look at them and to me, the questions are, Early on offensive, can they become more explosive? This has not been a particularly explosive offense. And, and again, as, as you pointed out, I mean, you lose Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins. So, you know, can Giles Jackson be that guy? I know they're really high on him. And, and so maybe he can become a really explosive player. A.J. Henning's really highly recruited. I know they love their running back room. But that's a tough situation. It's a tough situation right off the bat because they're playing Minnesota, who's really good. Um, now, lost a lot on defense. But again, if you're Joe Rossi, experienced coordinator, I mean, don't you go after Milton a little bit? And Milton didn't have the advantage of playing games against lesser opponents to figure it out and to get his feet wet here. I mean, you, you go into the deep end. Their crossovers are Minnesota and Wisconsin. I think Indiana's really good in that division, too. I'm not sure if you didn't just strip away the names. If you didn't say Michigan, Indiana, just said team, team A and Team B. And you said what they have coming back, you might lean toward Indiana. Um, now, I know Indiana hasn't beaten anybody. You know, they haven't beaten a ranked team other than Michigan State under Tom Allen. And that Michigan State team ended up being three and nine. So you could say with Indiana, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But, but I don't see Michigan in, in a position to really challenge Ohio State, at least on paper. Again, we didn't get to see them, so who knows? But, but to me, you know, based on what we know, based on what we've seen, based on schedule, I still think they're a notch below. I, I know it pains Michigan fans, and, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but, but I don't see a reason to think otherwise right now. 
I mean, if anything, it feels like over the last couple of years, it's, I mean, especially given how lopsided the, the last two Ohio State-Michigan games have been, um, and Michigan, what, 9-4 and four team last year, like, it seems to me like that there's almost a resignation at this point, that as much as that should be the standard, Ohio State, that that that's just not, it's not realistic anymore. Um, now, maybe not realistic for anybody. Maybe Ohio State's far and away above everybody else in the conference. But, I mean, just the fact that, you know, Michigan's opening with Minnesota and it's considered a toss-up game, I think tells you that, I mean, if, if Ohio State were playing Minnesota, the point spread would be would be a lot higher, obviously. But yeah, um, yeah. do you think Ohio State, I mean, I feel like Ryan Day kind of set the tone for, you know, couldn't have set the expectations much higher. And I know why he was yeah. why he said it at the time. I mean, he was trying, like what any coach would do, to, to save his season. You know, he said that this was a once-in-a-lifetime team. Do you feel that this this team does have that potential? Because yes, Justin Fields is back. Lot we know they're always talented, but they did lose some some pretty significant players from last year's team. Uh, let me just say one last thing on what you said at the end there on Michigan, which got me thinking. I mean, to say it's unrealistic. I mean, to quote Brady Hoke, we're Michigan, right? Like, like how can it be unrealistic? Like, to me, I get that Ohio State's really good, but do they have built-in advantages that Michigan doesn't have? I mean, maybe a little bit better high school football in the state. They don't have to, you know, you have Michigan State within the state of Michigan who has been really good. I mean, you could argue in the last decade over on a kind of on an average level, they've been better than Michigan, although certainly they're now in a, in a rebuilding mode. So I just can't accept that Michigan, the winningest program of all time in college football, the most Big Ten titles of all time, I can't accept the notion that how can you say, and I, I'm not necessarily saying you're saying this, but like, should it be realistic they can beat Ohio State? It should be. And if it's not, then why isn't it, right? I mean, you have so much going for you. But, but you're right. Like Ohio State is, is cranking on all cylinders, they have not missed a beat with Ryan Day. I mean, to take over for one of the guys who, you know, arguably is on the Mount Rushmore, certainly a modern college football in Urban Meyer. And to say you got better <laughs> the next year. Uh, I know they did lose a lot to the draft, as I brought up, but they, I mean, they also have 13 returning players who had all conference mentioned last year, which is the most in the Big Ten. They had huge opt back ins which really helped them. I mean, to me, getting Sean Wade back is enormous in that secondary. Uh, on the offensive line, you know, having Wyatt Davis come back is huge. And then you have a fabulous quarterback. I mean, on the very short list of Heisman contenders in Justin Fields, I don't see any obvious weaknesses. I mean, I think defensive tackle is maybe a place where you, you don't have experience depth. Uh, do you have a real stud at defensive end? I know in, in talking to Urban, that's something where he's kind of said, hey, they've built this in recent years on the Boses, on Chase Young. Is there someone like that? It's not 100% clear there is, but you're really nitpicking with them. And, and then their schedule is really favorable. Uh, you know, Nebraska and Illinois are their crossovers. Yeah, you go to State College, but I mean, what difference does it make whether it's home or road? You don't have to deal with that whiteout. So, I don't know. I, to me, it's Ohio State and everyone else in, in the Big Ten. And, I, you know, I think the Journey Brown injury put a little more distance between them and Penn State, though Penn State certainly has some real high-level players. I just think they have more question marks. Ohio State certainly has the fewest questions of any team in the league.
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Dave, for me, uh, the team that I'm probably most intrigued by going into this year now, I'm not saying it's the best team, obviously, but the team I'm most intrigued by is Iowa. Uh, Certainly, they have to replace Nate Stanley, but... You know, we've we both heard good things about uh, Spencer Petrus, who's coming in there, but also obviously a lot of stuff happened to the Iowa program with the Chris Doyle investigation and his exit and just a lot of things coming to light with Kirk Ferentz's program this offseason. Yet they have a lot of speed at receiver. Goodson is a really uh, big time running back, I think, and their offensive line should be really good getting a a key grad transfer from Indiana. To me, they are my sleeper team in the Big Ten, and they're the team that I think will be the team that ends up winning the West. Who's the most intriguing or who would be your sleeper that's kind of under the radar that you're saying, hey, I think people are not talking about these guys enough? Well, I was really interesting, and I agree with you. I mean, I think some things set up really well for them, particularly if Petra steps in and is good. They have to figure out a way to be a little more explosive on offense, but uh, I agree, you know, Smith-Marset is a really good piece, and, and you can move him around and, and I think do a lot of interesting things with him, and we saw that in the bowl game last year. So they would be on that list. I hinted at it earlier. I really think Indiana is is – a team that no one is talking about because it's Indiana, because they don't have a great history. I think these are the highest expectations for them in years. I mean, they won eight games last year, which was their most since 1993. They're one shy of the school record. They had Tennessee beat in the full game and just kind of let it slip away. And and they had several games last year where they lost in the closing seconds, right? Three games that, that they could have won that they didn't. So to me, I, you know, they bring back a ton. They love Michael Penix, a quarterback. And if he can stay healthy, you can see why they have a tremendous wide receiver in Wap Fillier. Uh, they have depth concerns on the offensive line, but I, and you mentioned Clay Cronk who left for Iowa and that, that is a big loss for them, but, but they've got a lot there in terms of, I like that, that starting group. I think they're really good up front on defense. He made a Tom Allen made a good move last year, turning the D over to Kane Womack and just saying, I can't wear both these hats. I can't be a defensive coordinator and a head coach. They have some very good talent there. Micah McFadden leading the way at, at linebacker. I really like him. I just think this is a team that's kind of, you know, the, the question for them is can they beat the elite teams? And it's staggering guys. I mean, their last 73 games against Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. They have lost 72 of them. So, I mean, like, to say they haven't been get, able to get over that hump, uh, you know, it's incredible how tough it has been for them to beat the teams kind of on that next echelon. And then if you were to throw Michigan State in, it's 82 of the last 84 against those four. So, it's a pretty big hill to climb, 
But man, I, I just think on paper, if you switched Michigan and Indiana and you said, tell me who you like more based on what they have returning. Now, again, recruiting rankings, all that stuff, you'd say Michigan. But man, I, I, if you were to go with experience and what the different players have done in the league, what they've accomplished, I'd probably go Indiana. I'm with you, Dave. I'm high on Indiana. I'm also high on Purdue getting back. Uh, you know, first of all, they, they had like the worst injury luck imaginable last year, but getting back Rondell yep. Moore and just the yep. schedule, not having to play. I mean, when you're talking about eight games, you know, who you don't play is going to make a huge difference in the standings. And they don't play Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan. Um, who is, let's go opposite. Who's somebody that people assume will be good and maybe has some issues? Well, I mean, I think Wisconsin, you never doubt Wisconsin in the Big Ten just because year in and year out, they're so consistent. They know who they are. Now, they've won at least 10 games five of the last six years. I mean, they have a very clearly defined personality and they really understand how to recruit to it and to play to it. I think they'll be tremendous on defense. Shim Leonard is I mean, that he's really proven himself, I think, to be a gifted coordinator and had taken over for you know, a couple guys in a row who had been really good and then headed elsewhere. Dave Aranda kind of being the, the headliner of that group, kind of built this identity on, on defense. Um, but, yeah, like to me, uh, offensively, there are some issues. Um, you know, quarterback, he had a huge blow in losing Jack Cohn completed nearly 70% of his passes last year. He was third in the Big Ten in passing efficiency. He, I think, fit that offense really well, but, you know, probably a little bit better runner than people gave him credit for, too. Uh, you know, fairly mobile quarterback, but he's out after having foot surgery. Graham Mertz, I know he's really highly recruited. He threw 10 passes last year. Nine of them were complete. Uh, you kind of like those numbers, and I know people are excited to see him, but you have no experience behind him were he to get hurt. And then – like, let's be honest here. I know it's every year you feel like Wisconsin's going to have a good running back. But, I mean, you lost one of the all-time great running backs in college football history. Like, had Jonathan Taylor stuck around for this year, he would have almost certainly left as the all-time leading rusher in NCAA history. As it was, he's the sixth all-time leading rusher. He had the most rushing yards of anyone before his senior year. And there's no obvious there apparent. Like, we've seen Nikia Watson. We've seen Garrett Groshek. These are good, solid backs but I don't, you know, they're not in that same mold. And then you lose Quintess Cephas, your, your best threat on the outside. You lose an All-American center as well. So to me, you know, like if you think about what do you need to do, like where do those gash plays come from to me? Like that's the big question for Wisconsin. You know, Jonathan Taylor got you gash plays. Quintess Cephas got you gash plays. They had 211 plays longer than 10 yards last year. It was second most in the Big Ten. More than half of them were from those two. So, like, where do those plays come from? Like, to me, that's that's the issue. So, I think there's some question marks around their offense. I still think they'll be there in the end just because they're Wisconsin and because Chris is really good. Joe Rudolph's good. They know who they are. But, but, but I think there are some hurdles there that we don't ordinarily see with the Badgers. Oh, Dave, you really got me super more skeptical of Wisconsin now than as you lay it out. Um, but I, I wanted to stay in the in the West for a second more and ask you, you mentioned Nebraska. I was kind of with you on, sounds like where you were early in the season with Nebraska. I did think they were going to have a much better season. And then I think 
early in September, my crew did the CU game where they were up at halftime and CU looked like a dud. And then all of a sudden, Nebraska got sloppy and CU took over the game and they won and they stormed the field and everything. And I just felt like Nebraska's season was kind of in a free fall from that point on. So uh, they obviously have a huge opener against Ohio State this weekend. I remember being at that game two years ago, the last time they were in Columbus. Uh, Adrian Martinez was a true freshman. They gave Ohio State all they could handle and probably should have won that game or at least could have won that game if, you know, maybe a couple of things bounced their way. Right now, are you the schedule is brutal, especially the first month of it. I mean, how confident are you that Scott Frost program will take a big, big step forward given the schedule they're facing right now and some of the players they actually lost on defense? Well, the schedule is really hard. You play in your first four games, you play the three highest ranked teams in the Big Ten as part of that four game slate. Ohio State, obviously, they play Penn State in game four. They play Wisconsin in game two. They have a game against Northwestern. That's always a, a real battle. They, they played some crazy games in that series. So, I, I mean, it's it's challenging, no doubt, to start things out. And then you still have Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota on, on the back half of that schedule, as, as well as game against Illinois. And Illinois is better so there's just no game you look at at their schedule and say, like, clear cut, obviously, Nebraska is going to win the game, um, which isn't to say they're not going to win a lot of games. I, I think they will. It's, it's just that there's it's a tough schedule. I mean, kind of to your to your point here, Bruce. So, look, last year, Adrian Martinez was hurt, I think, all year. Like I, I was at their game against Illinois and man, he was great. Now, I know Illinois is limited defensively, but, um, you know, if, if that if that's your Adrian Martinez, and you throw in Wandell Robinson, if he stays totally healthy, because he had a really nice year last year. I know they have some younger guys they feel good about. They have the whole offensive line back. And that group really got better as last year went on. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, to me, a lot of it falls on the defense. And, and they got better last year. Uh, they had nowhere to go but up at the end of the Mike Riley era. And they have kind of very gradually improved here the last two years with action Ander, but to me, it's the point of attack. And I actually talked to Scott Frost yesterday and asked him about this kind of, are you better on that defensive front and that front seven? Because last year, you know, no team gave up more yards per carry in big 10 play than Nebraska did. It was 5.7 yards per carry. And then a lot of those guys are gone. Now he said, Hey, we're really excited about some of the, the people we're bringing in. We think we have better size up front. We think we could be more physical, but that, that defense is a work in progress. And, I mean, if you have to deal with Ohio State in week one and then Wisconsin, I mean, I know I cast some doubt on their offense, but, I mean, you still know they're going to try to grind it out with you in week two. And then you got Penn State. I know no Journey Brown, but still that's going to be a, a good rushing attack too. you got to deal with them in week four. I mean, if you're not better at the point of attack, it, it, it could get ugly here. No question. I'm, I'm certainly less bullish sitting here on, on Nebraska right now than I was a year ago. That's for sure. Just just because of the hand they've been dealt in the schedule. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, 
even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Dave, before we let you go, I want to circle back. Um, maybe against Bruce's best wishes, he, he really wanted to focus on the football, but you were, you were part of a, a kind of a, a very memorable, maybe some of you might say infamous TV moment back on the day the Big Ten announced it was going to postpone football. Um, you know, you did the interview with Kevin Warren. I don't know, I mean, how much advance warning you got about it and whatnot, but I mean, you asked all the right questions and, and it was a great interview from your end, but man, he really dodged everything you asked and it just kind of it just kind of set in motion this um backlash that he got over the next however many weeks until they actually decided to to come back and so we're just curious like kind of your your behind the scenes take on it you know did you as it was happening or right after did you did you grasp like what that how that was going to be perceived yeah i think i grasped it honestly as it was happening Stu, frankly, because in this day and age, you got your phone up there with you, right? And and so I could kind of see there were text messages coming in and in the middle of the interview. I'm embarrassed to say that, but but it just happened to be on the desk next to me. I ended up moving it, I think, uh, at, at one point in the interview because I, I thought it might be a little distracting. But um, so, yeah, I think I had a sense right away. Um, I just want to preface it by saying, and I don't know to what extent you guys have interacted with Warren. Um, I, I think really highly of him. Um, I spent some time with him yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, had some really great interactions since all of that. And, um, and I'd spent a lot of time before, uh, with him too. Uh, I'm serving on a coalition that he's overseeing that I really feel strongly about. Um, I, I, I think the world of the guy. And, and so it was tough. I mean, I kind of knew it wasn't going well for him. I, you know, look, I would just say this as when, when you and you, you guys know this, you guys are, we're all journalists and we all ask questions for a living to a certain extent. Part of what we do anyway is to ask questions. And, and I always see it as my job is not to ask questions. My job is to get answers. And so if I ask a question and it's not answered in the way, if I don't get the answer that I asked for, then I will ask the question again, because I just think that's my job. And, and so that was what I did, you know, in that situation. And there were a couple of times where, where Kevin didn't necessarily provide, you know, answers. And, and so I asked again. I, I, so I, you know, yeah, did that day in August go well for the Big Ten? It, it didn't. And, um, you know, we are, again, we're, we are a partner with the Big Ten Conference, but 
but we also have to, it's a, it's an interesting role you play because I still feel like my responsibility is to the viewer. And we, otherwise you've kind of sacrificed your integrity as a journalist. You have to ask questions and you have to ask them to get the answers. And if you don't, you ask them again. So, you know, it's kind of as afterward um, and, and as it kind of progressed, you know, going forward to when the Big Ten did actually bring football back, I, I think as tough a day as the Big Ten had. And, and honestly, like, I still think the rationale for what they did in August is very sound. Like, I think at the end of the day, guys, the Big Ten wasn't going to play if they didn't believe that they were putting players on the field who they knew with as close as you can know to absolute certainty didn't have COVID. And so they basically were at a point where they were about to begin contact practice back in August. And they said, we can't do this because we're, we have these kids going on the field. We can't test them every day because testing isn't there yet. And then we're going to start contact practice. And then you're going to have to contact trace. How do you contact trace a football practice? And we are walking into a potential disaster here and we can't do it. So I think that was their rationale all along. And you can say, well, their conferences did it and that's fine. Uh, and they did it with varying levels of success. But that was what the Big Ten believed. We don't want to play or we don't want to practice contact if we think the kids might have the virus. And so as soon as it got to the point where they believed, okay, now we have this rapid testing. And we can test everyone every day. And so people understand in the Big Ten, every time any person walks into the facility, any time they go onto a practice field, not just the players, support staff, trainers, all those people, every one of them has to test negative for COVID every single day. They weren't in a position to do that in August. They were in September. So all that makes sense to me. And I think as poorly as it went in August, I thought it went really well in September. And so I give them a ton of credit for learning from their uh, missteps and for getting it right this time. And, and so I think, you know, in talking to Commissioner Warren yesterday, I think he feels like they're in a good spot where they have the best chance to get through this. They've obviously left themselves no wiggle room because there are no bye weeks for anyone. And I think they feel confident in the plan that they put forth. But I think they're going in with eyes wide open. They've learned a lot from the other leagues. They understand that it may not go perfectly. And I'll leave you guys with this thought on that. I think in this year, people understand that things may not go perfectly. I, I think we have built up much more of a tolerance for saying, hey, this game got canceled. They, they can't play this week. That's just the way that goes. And, and we're not going to – if one team plays – eight games and one team plays seven games and we have to compare them for the playoff or, you know, and it's apples to oranges or whatever it is. I, I think we're more willing to accept that than we would have been in the past because frankly, we're just happy to have football. That's the way I'm looking at it anyway. All right, Dave. I think that is a fresh perspective. And I think it's, I, I like I said back then, and I know Stu agrees with me, um, thought you just handled yourself. It was a, you know, really a, a, uh, exemplary journalism class that you put on in that moment, especially throughout. And uh, we appreciate your your perspective as we're all excited to actually get games this weekend. And, <laughs> you know, just the idea that it's basically here after so long. Um, we just got to keep our fingers crossed that everything can can stay on track going forward from here. Yeah, I'm with you, Bruce. I think I, I go into this with uh, fingers, toes, to everything you can possibly uh, cross, crossed, because, uh, 
you know, it's going to take some good fortune to get through it all. But but I'm with you. I'm just so thrilled. I'm thrilled kind of getting back to our original point, being back to my guys. I'm thrilled. You know, I've been listening to you guys. I listen to so much college sports coverage and it's been a little painful not not to have the Big Ten be part of that conversation. So so thrilled to be back in the mix. We really appreciate it. My main takeaway from this conversation is that I should start planning now for the uh, Northwestern Indiana Big Ten championship game on uh, December 19th. We do do not even talk about the Wildcats and the Peyton Ramsey transfer. That's because Bruce wouldn't. He would he would hang up if we, if we went down Bruce, that Bruce Bruce would have unplugged cords or something. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Full disclosure. Uh, obviously, if people don't know, Dave went to Northwestern. I I suspect Dave, you probably were a couple of classes behind Stu. Stu is, I think, a little older, right? <laughs> no, I'm older than Stu. It's Come more on. than that. Dave grew up uh, going to Northwestern games, and is just you know was a diehard uh, long before college. Yeah, I, uh, I spent a lot of, uh, we were, uh, my father was a professor at Northwestern. They had a 34-game losing streak in my childhood. So uh, we left at halftime a lot. There you go. All right. Well, enjoy the games this weekend. All right. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, Bruce. Great to talk to you guys. All right. Great to talk Big Ten football. Uh, a lot of a lot of good games this weekend. A lot of good games outside the Big Ten, obviously, in terms of uh, everything from Oklahoma State, uh, Iowa State to uh, undefeated Cincinnati against undefeated SMU and so on down the line. So we will talk about those games on Sunday. See you then.